You're a writer, Ryan. Would you ever write a memoir? No, I, I think my life is boring. You know, I have nothing to write about. Definitely some people have lived more interesting lives than we have. But I think everyone's life has an interesting story. You just have to dig for it or reflecting and thinking upon the things that happened. I would say that my interiority is so tedious. I don't really want to spend too much time thinking about it. But I do feel like, I mean, like you're stuck in your own head all the time. I just don't feel like interested in unpacking it, which you could also say is just sort of like a lack of introspection. So who knows? Or, or a lack of willingness to introspect. What are you hiding, Ryan? What is, what's behind there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's all of the children I've killed. Oh, wait. We're recording. Hey, don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head you feel left out. I look down on Just try your best Try everything you can It doesn't matter what they tell themselves When you're away It just takes some time Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be alright, alright It just takes some time Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride Everything, hey Ryan, everything will be just fine Have you ever wondered what it's like to be an Asian teenage everything, artist coming of age in the suburbs of a big city with an unpredictable and often unbearable mother while also saddled with a sense of regret and ennui? You know that sounds familiar. Because this is a story about your lived experience? I'm actually on good terms with my mom, Raman, I will have you know. But no, actually, I was referring to the fact that we've been reading a lot of stories about troubled teenage girls. Technically, Carrie was in her 20s, but as a father, I'm just trying to prep myself. Well, there's always boarding school. You can make her somebody else's problem. <laughs> I went to a boarding school, for, for your information. <laughs> oh, good. So there's precedent. <laughs> I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we are two dudes who just love reliving our hormonal teenaged angst. And all of that anguished, tearful music. Everybody hurts, sometimes. This week we're reading In Limbo, the debut graphic memoir by Deb J.J. Lee. Our story introduces us to Deb, a young Korean-American teenager trapped in an inescapable feeling of otherness. For a while, their English wasn't perfect. Their teachers can't pronounce their Korean name. Their face and their eyes, especially their eyes, feel wrong. Things only get harder once high school starts, shifting sands of arts and academics, escalating tensions at home, friendships made and frayed, and mental health struggles that are all too real to anyone who's ever felt like an outsider. With stunning art and a tale that feels like you're slipping in and out of an all-too-familiar dream, this is a story that you cannot leave easily. So Ryan, how much emotional baggage did this book stir up for you? I actually had a lot of anxiety reading, especially the opening pages of the story. Like, I would say like Deb's high school experience was way more, I wouldn't say traumatic because it's not like something like crazy and huge happens, but it's just a lot more fraught than mine was. And I think the thing that Deb experienced and that they are so good at, at capturing is the fact that there's no real safe place for Deb to go not except for orchestra but of course in the very beginning 
they quit. But Mm -hmm. wherever they go, they are reminded of how they don't belong because they are Asian and nobody else really is at home. They have this really tense relationship with their mom. And even when they go to a Korean school, all of the Korean students are incredibly mean to her, even even their name, right? No one can pronounce it in their white person school. And of course, in, in American school, in their Korean school, everybody just makes fun of it because it's the name of an old man. Well, I mean, there's a moment. It's like a I think like a two panel spread where they show their experience at Korean school where they're perceived as too American and their experience at like quote unquote American school where they're too Korean or too Asian. And it's like, you can't win. And I mean, that was one of those moments that just really, as someone who doesn't fit in with the the Indian Indian crowd. Yeah. It just like really hit home. Like you can't fucking win. You can't win. Where do you, there's no sense of belonging. And it's really just isolating. That was actually really interesting to me also because Deb spent their first three years in Korea and the fact that even being a Korean-born Korean-American, they feel too American around everybody else. But the other thing I think that Deb really makes a point of is that they really, especially in high school, have no conception of the troubles of what other people are going through. You know, you're, this is like every high schooler. You're caught in your own head. All of your troubles are the only troubles and they're magnified to the nth degree. And Deb, in, in their memoir, is, is very honest with that. And it's only towards the end where Deb starts to realize that some of her other friends and classmates who they thought might have abandoned them actually were going through their own shit. That was probably just as bad as what Deb was going through. And Deb just wasn't aware of it because Deb was just caught up in their own head, which is sort of typical of, of teenagers. So like to the point of Deb feeling not really in touch with their Korean self, either one wonders even in korean school if other people were feeling the same way and deb just wasn't aware of that you know it was another really interesting thing when i read the front and the back of the book and like the names who were like heaping praise on this book are just immense but i was like okay this is a queer coming of age memoir and we've been making a real effort to not misgender the character deb the author deb as we've been reading it but honestly like I didn't even read that much into queer identity I was reading as I was reading the book. I, I'm sure it's there, and I probably, if, upon a rereading, I would catch it. But I found more of it to be about, like, Asian immigrant sense of belonging. And I hate to say, like, the typical teenage shit that we all feel. That's where my angst and anxiety came from as I was reading this book. Yeah. And then to recognize that some of that might have been born from that, like, gave me even more empathy for, fuck, it must be, like, even harder. Like, when you are having... I don't know, man. It's just... Uh, well, Deb's gender identity isn't really dealt with in, in Limbo, and whether that's just a part of their life that they decided not to dramatize, or if yeah. that's not something that even registered until they were perhaps older, which would have encompassed a period after but, but, Limbo. But, but knowing that, like, did you read into any of that inside of the relationships that Deb had in the book? Like, the best friend that they fall out with, etc.? No, I, I didn't. I mean... Deb's depression is just, it's like a milieu of things, right? Mm -hmm. It's racial. Perhaps it's based off of their uncertainties around their gender. It's this feeling of not fitting in. There's the familial aspect. There's just a whole bunch of different stuff. And whether, Mm. so, so yeah, so I I didn't read like any one specific thing 
and it was I, and actually that's one of the things I, I admired about this book it's never one thing that's mm-hmm. really upsetting to Deb it's just a whole bunch of things and it's a whole bunch of things that oftentimes I don't think Deb really knows how to articulate and that gets oftentimes very misconstrued right when Deb tries to commit suicide Quinn thinks that Deb did it because of her and just that that's the basis of Quinn cutting Deb off it's sort of a miscommunication around it there's a whole bunch of other things that's happening in Deb's head that leads her to that moment where she tries to OD on on Tylenol of all things but it's 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 stuff that I, I think isn't it doesn't have like an easy oh it all leads back to this one thing it all leads back to racial identity it all leads back to yeah, problems with yeah, mom it's yeah, just yeah. it's all just thrown into this sort of boiling melting pot and mm-hmm. and it just manifests in this habit of self-destruction yeah well you mentioned the mom <laughs> in the intro you <laughs> mentioned having a great relationship with you and honestly I think I had a pretty good relationship with my parents and I can't say that was the same for a lot of my friends of children of immigrants growing up. Like I, in fact, I have one of my very close friends was like, your family seems so normal by comparison. It's kind of what I've been told. And I, I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm happy to have had that experience. But were there other things that like, honestly, like it's so superficial, but it's like, I played the violin. I definitely not. I played the violin too. Yeah. When and did I quit. Wait, when did they make you start? I only started, I only did it in fifth and sixth grade. My parents let me okay. violin and art in after school lessons because I had an aptitude for music and visual arts. And I quit violin and I stayed, I went all in on the visual arts through all through high school. Still the closet creative wish list things I wish I could spend more time on. But it was like the, it, what's interesting is the mom in In Limbo, Deb's mom, is like significantly more supportive about the quitting and the rejoining. And I thought that yeah. was really interesting. So it's it's an interest. It's so initially, it's sort of like the mom seems like very shrill, tiger mom sort. And then, yeah. you know, there's this moment where that surprises you when Deb says, I'm quitting violin. The mom is, of course, pit about, pissed about that. And then she like enrolls Deb into this New York City art school and says, hey, it's my job to make you happy. And it's like, oh, OK, it's another dimension to mom. But then the mom goes back to being really but at times just really really harsh on deb mercurial and, she's mercurial right but but, kind of... but also there's this point later on where deb gets sick of it right where the mom says hey it's my job to make sure that you're happy towards the end and deb turns their back and it's sort of like this sign where she's just tired of this pattern of well she can articulate they articulate it also sometimes she's like the best mom of the year and other times she's just really really mean to her and they're getting tired of that sort of cyclical pattern and even in the deb's afterwards on the mom comes down pretty harsh i think deb writes my mom has acknowledged her wrongdoings and accepts the content of the book as it is and has sweetly requested (laughs) that i quote make her look pretty end quote so even deb's afterwards it's definitely like mom you are wrong you were mean to me (laughs) but i do think that deb does at least in the actual comic treats tries to be generous about the treatment of their mom despite having some very very nasty dust-ups and i will say have you ever told your mom to shut up roman i i don't want to put that in recording ever (laughs) i i told my mom to shut up once when i was about deb's age i've done it oh it did not it did not oh whack it did not go so well so i mean that blow up that the mom has when when deb says shut up 
I don't know if you, <laughs> if you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, when, when that's, uh, yeah. When, I remember that scene that panel. Just, Deb says, "Shut up." I'm like, and then, 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 and then all the drama happens on the next page. But even before I flip the page, I'm like, oh, I, uh, you know, suck. Like, you know where this is going. It is. You do not tell an Asian mom to shut up. To shift gears a little bit, one thing that I, it's worth mentioning. In most comic books, when someone's speaking another language, you do the brackets thing so you can understand they're translated from whatever language. You see mm. that in comics, whether it's Italian or Skrull. Like, and in this comic, they do a fair number of that for like extended conversations that are in Korean. But there's moments where what Deb does is she actually writes the word in Korean. And I think to signal she only half understands the Korean that her mom is speaking. And oh, interesting. I, I was actually wondering about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, because remember, Deb doesn't, she speaks, I'm going to misnumber this, they speak at almost like a elementary school level of Korean. And I kind of get that, like my Punjabi is probably, Punjabi and Hindi is like way worse than Deb's Korean, but it shows their lack of understanding sometimes. And, but at the same time, every time I read it, I was like, oh, is the mom cursing? <laughs> like, is something so <laughs> terrible being said that it's in Korean? But it's not that. It's Okay, so one reflection upon the mercurial nature of Deb's mom. Obviously, there's a lot of reflection on my own immigrant parents and probably your own immigrant parents. But again, we've talked about this a little bit on the pod. I'm reflective of my own mercurial nature with my kids. Like uh, right now, I've, I've, had, I've been suffering from like a major headache and health issue for the last week everything's fine but as a result i've been really like testy around my children especially my seven-year-old daughter so much so that i had to apologize in the morning as i was dropping her off and upon picking her up i gave her fair warning hey honey i'm not feeling that good i'm gonna be a little short-tempered you're probably best to like leave me alone and let me get dinner made etc and i think a lot about the mixed messages that my mercurial grouchy nature sends to my children and what my daughter and son are going to remember me as and reading deb's interpretation i'm like maybe my daughter shouldn't go into the arts and draw a graphic novel about how i how well, i was in her youth what what's nice is at least you give her a heads up deb's mom doesn't seem to give her a heads up you fuck up the kitchen it's just it's well, all... I think it's because I was thinking about this book this morning. I was thinking about this book and my oh. reflections on this book. <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? Because now you're th thinking about how mo Deb's mom came across. And... So if you're a parent, read this book. <laughs> read this book to understand. In a way, though, like I, I, I appreciate in Limbo and also the Zoe Thorogood we read. It's only at the center of the earth because they're both really good at giving you a very clear picture about what's going on in the author's heads at the time. Mm -hmm, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. Deb's book is a little bit probably about 10 years before and Zoe's is a lot more recent, but mm -hmm. I feel they both just create a really clear picture of the internal complexity of these characters, of the authors, frankly, during some very troubled times in their lives. And it's actually really cool to see this illuminated because it changed the way you interacted with your own daughter, Raman. Yeah. I'm graphic memoirs I don't want to say worry me, but like I, I feel like not even graphic well I mean whether it's about deep personal experiences like Zoe Thorogood or Deb Lee or even some of the like historical events we've read about, I think they hit and they resonate so much harder. To be clear, it's an artistic interpretation, but knowing that it's rooted in a truth and it's not a fiction makes the story punch a lot harder 
especially mm. in graphic memoirs. Because obviously with film, you're, I think I've talked about this about the comics medium before. With film, you're cycling through it. You're moving through time with the director, with the actors. With prose, you're just reading and processing, internalizing in real time. So you're moving through the pages. But, but with graphic novels, you can't help but pause and linger on moments. The moment that they told their mother to shut up. The right. moment that they didn't fit in. Like, it's like poetry in the sense that you can linger and you frames and sequences can just like sit with you and you're literally you take a screenshot in your head and you're left with it that that image burns in your brain a lot more in this medium i think it also feels also the two you mentioned lee and thoroughgood because they're memoirs you get a real feel for how complex and contradictory their mentalities often are there's a richness to it that you wouldn't get if they were trying to project themselves into the heads of somebody else Uh, in a way because both zoe and deb are so in touch with their own emotions and how they're feeling and are so talented as artists in bringing that to the surface and showcasing that in a graphic form so it's both their own observations and their own sensitivities in their observations as well as you know, their ability to communicate that in a graphic form that really gives it a sort of unique power, I think. You're a writer, Ryan. Would you ever write a, a memoir? No, I, I think my life is boring. You know? <clears throat> I have nothing to write about. Would you? I mean, what do you think? Would you? Was this, Would you ever want to do something like this? I mean, I think uh, there's a book I read recently called Storyworthy. I'd highly recommend it. It's by one of the Moth Grand Slam winners. If you listen to the Moth podcast or the Moth Radio Hour. And I've been going through this exercise of effectively light journaling every day to write a story and a, a segment from the day for the past few months. And there's some other exercises. To, like It's an exercise of recollection that gets you to dredge up old stories. And some of the stuff we've been reading on this podcast, my other podcast, where I talk with a lot of guests about their youth and it dredges up a lot of experiences. I guess what I'd say, Ryan, is I think it's easy to say we've all led fairly boring lives and definitely some people have lived more interesting lives than we have, but I think everyone's life has an interesting story. You just have to kind of like dig for it and, or we have to dig for it either as someone interviewing the other person or literally reflecting and thinking upon the things that happen. Is there well, enough for a book? I don't know. Cause there's a talent to writing it as well. I would say that my interiority is so tedious. I don't really want to spend too much time thinking about it. But I do feel like, I mean, like you're stuck in your own head all the time. It is, to me, it's sort of boring because how you think. I just don't feel like interested in, in unpacking it, which might, you could also say is just sort of like a lack of introspection. So who knows? Or or a lack of willingness to introspect. What are you hiding, Ryan? What is, what is behind there? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's all of the children I've killed. Oh, wait, we're recording. <laughs> Worth noting, and I, it, it sounds like we both really enjoyed this book, which makes for a short, interesting episode. But, and, and so getting into our own interiority is always fun. But like, I hate to, it's, the art is beautiful. I cannot, like, the cover, if it's like the, the abstract nature of the cover, like, I'm not sure what dream she's passing through on this cover, but like, the monocolor. It's just so beautiful. Like I, yeah, you know, I picked this up and it's the, the cover quote is by Tilly Walden, who's someone who I hope we read in this A to Z thing that we're doing right now. The first three pages are all, or the, the back cover and the first three pages 
are all quotes by like people I just genuinely admire, be it Sean Tan, Sarah Alfagi, Malika Gadib, Arkiku Johnson, etc., etc. Just like the cover blows you away, the quotes blow you away, and just flipping through this book, like if you can walk to your library and just go flip through it, you can't not be drawn. And it's like a dreamlike state, similar to Carrie and even the Zoe Thorogood books, because it's this monocolor. There's clearly like really amazing inking and coloring that's going on, even though it's it's monocolor. Like, yeah, I actually kind of wish I could see some of Deb's work in color. Actually, I mean, because if you look at some of Deb's illustrations, including the one on the cover, it's actually like really, really vibrant. And I do like some of the black and white quality of what they're doing. It's actually very, very moody and really cool. But I do actually really like the vibrancy of their color work. And I was like, oh, that'd be actually cool if we could see more of it, though that would obviously probably been a pain in the ass to to do. I will say, yeah. after reading this uh, graphic novel, I did look for, I did look at, try to find pictures of Deb and look at their eyelids. And look at them. Well, let, let's talk about that. Well, no, so, their eye, yeah, their eyelids. Yeah, they def and and yes, Deb has. Uh, I had. Well, talk. Ex- explain double, this because double I, I didn't. I did not oh, know this. Know about, I had to actually ask. Double eyelids. Oh. Well, okay. No, no. I, I know that most people have double eyelids, and we obviously all know that many East Asians don't have the uh, epi something fold. Epicanthic fold. Epicanthic yes. fold. Yes. And so we're we're all aware of that. What I was not aware of, and I had to ask my Chinese American wife while I was reading this, like, like, is this a thing? Oh is yes. She, so does she have? So does, ex- does, we can cut this part, but ex- does she have? Does she have the folds? No, no, my wife's not getting some form of surgery. No, so no, no. What, 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 but, but okay, so some people, I have the folds, man. You've seen my my face. Here's the thing: I'm face blind. I don't pay attention to this shit. But explain to our audience one the eyelid thing, but more importantly, the commonly accepted practice in Korean culture. Explain this. It's not just Koreans; like us other Asians also. But yes, Korean. Really? Sophie's staring at me now, blinking. This my Sophie, wife. your Korean American wife. Yes. No, your Korean no, Korean, Korean wife. Korean Korean. Korean. Yes. But yeah. she, so the... Wait, you your look, wife stares at you while you're doing your podcast? My wife, like, hides from me. Well, she, she, heard me she heard me speaking, like, epicanthic folds, and she like, just rushed out <laughs> of the room. Like, check. She's like, check it out. So the epicanthic fold is sort of like, for all you white people out there who take it for granted, is sort of like that Black double, people, too. Black, black people, people, Hispanic white, people, too. Black, Hispanic people. Non-Asian, non-Asian people. Non-Asian. So, well, some Asians have it. I have it. It sort of like gives you that double eyelid, which basically makes your eye look wider. If you look at a lot of East Asian eyes, they have like sort of like a, a I guess, there's it does, they don't have that double eyelid, that line. It's a single, it's right a single fold in the eyelid. It's a single fold. And that that's not considered attractive. I'm not the one who said that. That's, that's just sort of culturally, it's more attractive to have the double eyelid because it makes your eye look bigger. And so, especially in Korea, it's... By, very... by Asian, some Asian standards. Because isn't it the other way around in terms of like Asian objectification? Like people like the Asian eyes, right? I mean, but but I would say even if you have the epicanthic fold, you can still have the Asian eyes. Like Sophie yeah. has it. And my entire family actually has has it. And we still have, I would say, Asian eyes. Like we still have so our eyes are distinctly Asian. So it's I I, I think it's it's not like the epicanthic fold 
like makes you look automatically Caucasian, but it does give your eye. Okay, okay. So you, you've set this up and explained it. Now explain it in the context of the book. Well, it's not just the book. It's just culturally, people want that epicanthic fold, and so they will have surgery to get it, and including Deb. And Korea. Is I had never just... heard. I had never heard of this until I read this book. Oh really? Oh wow. Well, I think most of our audience, who I would assume are not Asian, did not know this. Yeah, well, in Korea, it's it's. So I was talking to. I've actually talked to Sophie about this, and she had mentioned that it's not even considered surgery. There is just quote unquote a procedure, because it's so common. Like you is just kind of explain go, what the procedure is. Explain what the procedure is. It's just the the procedure is they just cut a, an extra fold into your 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 eyelid. Deb JJ Lee explains it much better and graphically, but it's essentially yeah, you just get an extra eyelid. And, and and this is like a major recurring theme of something she aspires to do, and their very close friend, who's American, but is really curious and wanting to learn about not just Korean language but that Korean actually, culture. Yeah, that and actually really interesting. Well, how, how could you do this? How could you do Quinn's this? reaction was interesting to me because like that's why I was talking to I talked to Sophie about this last night. I was pretty. It's not that big of a deal, right, Sophie? And Sophie was like, "No, it's just, it's just, it's, it's like I said, everyone gets it. It's a procedure. No one gives a shit. It's just yeah. you do it, you go in, you get it. It's done." But I think in America, where Asian identity is something that distinguishes you, mm. that eyelid surgery perhaps it feels a bit more loaded and consequential, especially through the point of view of a white girl who thinks of Deb as perhaps obliterating or trying to obliterate or trying to mask her Asian identity. But it's not really, I mean, like I said, like it's, if, if like <clears throat> in Korea, it's just a procedure. It's just, it's just so common. So it's just, it's just, yeah, a different it, it, it's almost like it, it's, it's this weird thing where non-immigrants are like you're so lucky why would you want to give it up and it's like this lack of acknowledgement well i don't think anyone says you're lucky to have a monolid but no no but it's like why why would you want to give up your heritage when it's almost like it's sweet that you're saying it and trying to be an ally but you clearly don't understand the need to fit in we need to because of all the other passive aggressive bullshit that goes on like all it's of just our a needs be- it's a- to want to fit yeah yeah but it's a i mean it's a beauty standard that goes beyond just wanting to be white i think it's a beauty standard that exists in asia and like i said it's not like asians don't have the double eyelid a lot of asians have it it's just mm, considered mm. desirable for whatever reason but to that point though like like sophie she she would dye her hair a lot and then in Korea. And then she came here and she didn't realize that, oh, actually having black hair is considered unique. Or maybe if not unique, it's sort of a distinguishing feature. But of course, when you're in Asia, everyone has black hair. So people are just trying to to, to dye it a different color to, to stand out. But here, that's not noting, necessary. So my son, too, has not... My daughter has thick hair like me, Indian. My son has wispier hair. Like it's it's not that it's thin; it's just not as thick as mine. So it's closer to my wife's hair. But for a while, as his hair was growing, we were like, "Wow, it's brown!" But oh, it must be brown because we can kind of see his head underneath. But 
my son's hair is brown. <laughs> and I'm like, where is this coming from? It's this very strange, like, two Asian people. And don't make the obvious mailman joke, but it's like, literally, what is going on here? This is genuinely, like, really interesting that his hair is brown. I have to say. I, like, my brother had, had curly hair for a while. No one in my family had curly hair. And then one day my mom shaved it off because it was summer and it was hot. And it grew back straight. Hair's just, just freaking weird, man. <laughs> it's the ongoing mystery that no one's motivated enough That's to try good. to solve. Uh huh. <laughs> so, Ryan, I got, I got to ask my next to last question. Would you recommend In Limbo to, to someone to read? Oh yeah, I definitely recommend it in Limbo. It's just it's a, it's a really honest story. It's one that I feel creates just this really interesting portrait of Deb during a particularly fraught time in their life. And the art is beautiful also. I, I think that Deb has a very unique aesthetic and their art is not like really I think I think anyone who's who's working today. So yeah, absolutely. How would you? Would you? I think I, I think the answer is yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think unequivocally. This is one of those rare episodes where we're on the same page about how much we like this book for different reasons, but a lot of the same. But I think I'm going to put my other podcast, Modern Minorities, hat on and probably air this episode in that feed at some point. Like, this book is the perfect Modern Minorities read. If you want to understand not just the Korean-American experience, and absolutely there were learnings for me, and even while there's not a lot of queer identity stuff in here, I think if you read between the lines, you can try to sense the feelings that she's having, even though it's not articulated, of why. But I hate to say it, like, there's so many things that rang true for me as an Asian American growing up in this country. I think she even spent a few years growing up in the South. I think it was Alabama. And some of those things were like just... So actually, I was actually wanted to ask you about Deb's experiences in Alabama and how it gelled with yours. Oh, it's a thousand percent accurate. It barely scratches the surface, but in those few panels, it's just an earned authenticity of what to expect. And 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 some of that is because it's just like, and it's all humans. Like things were, I'm just as ignorant about certain things, but I have the ability to try to catch myself on it, be it pronouns and misgendering. And I, at the same time, like, I just think it's, it's not a monoculture anymore, for sure. The world is different than it was 40 years ago. But her experiences 20, 30 years ago were in the limited panels that they showed. And someone I want to reach out to to have a conversation with on my other podcast, right? That's with a lot of these authors that we're reading. They had an authentic experience in Alabama that rang true to what mine was, I guess, is the short answer. But you also got to ask me another question, Ryan. Oh, well, Ryan. I mean, okay, we've read... Some really heavy shit for these last three. Yeah, we're gonna months. take it. So, we're gonna we're gonna be really nice. Please, please, please tell me. Please, please, please tell me, Ryan. Well, <laughs> bring me up, bring it up a notch. Next week, what are we're we gonna reading? Just, we're week. gonna just cheer you up a little bit because we're gonna read the first ever graphic novel to win the Pulitzer, and that is Mouse by Art Spiegelman, published. Oh, is, uh, is that like about cartoon mice hanging out with yes, cats, right? Cartoon yeah, mice yeah. hanging out with like a little Tom and Jerry sort of cartoon i don't know why people are trying to ban it anyway as we all know moss is about the holocaust and it is it's basically spiegelman interviewing his dad about his experiences as a polish jew during the holocaust and through the 80s and 90s spiegelman turned that into a comic that was originally published in the comics journal raw and we're going to read mouse one and mouse two so the entire shebang 
the mouse so, cinematic universe the mouse cinematic universe i'm sure it's going to be a, a cheerful one but an important one i think mouse has been it's like goes on and off the ban list and i think it's back on it for some stupid reason so fuck them we're gonna read it <laughs> i'm just looking at our spreadsheet of everything we're doing in this a to z thing <laughs> It's pretty dark. I mean, there's a little humor coming up, but but like this is I don't think we read a really happy book for a while. Right? I don't think maybe we'll try to read a happy one at some point. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since for sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones. Off, yeah. It's only in your head you feel left out or look down on. Just try your best, try everything you can. It doesn't matter what they tell themselves when you're away. It just takes some time, little girl. You're in the Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be alright, alright It just takes some time Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be alright Hey, you know they're all the same you know you do it better on your own So don't buy it Gotta live right now Just be yourself It doesn't matter if that's good enough For someone else It just takes some time Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be alright, alright It just takes some time Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be alright, alright yourself off yeah it's only in your head you feel left out or look down on 
Just do your best Do everything you can Don't worry about their bitter hearts Are gonna say You're in the middle of the rock Everything, everything will be just fine Everything, everything will be Just fine Everything, everything will be alright